0: We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom.
2: I just don't fathom it.
0: The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world.
3: Yep, live around the world on the internet at michaeldukeshow.com and across the state of Alaska. On this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to the program. It is the Michael Luke Show. It's Monday. It's post-weekend. And it's a little foggy today. A little foggy, a little gray. That was after a scorching two-day weekend. Oh, man. That was nice. That's what... That's what summer's supposed to be. Uh, of course, people in Fairbanks are like, what did you do? It's like touching the sun. I mean, it was like, I don't know, 9 million degrees in uh, in Fairbanks this weekend. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. We're gonna make up for it. You know, I just hope they don't make up for the whole wet and cold summer, like in August, where it like burns us to a crisp. You know what I mean? Like just scorching temperatures for, I mean, I want some sun. I just don't want to, you know, fry and sizzle on a pan. I can could live in Arizona if I wanted to do that. Uh, Meanwhile, today, um, hi, what's going on for today? Well, uh, we're going to be joined in just a hot second by our favorite educational wonk. I love that word, wonk. Uh, Sarah Altabottle from the Alaska Policy Forum is going to be joining us just in a second, just a hot second. She's in the green room right now waiting patiently for us. We're going to be getting into that here in just a minute. Uh, also in hour two, we're going to, uh, uh well I we're gonna we're gonna peel back the onion on some things and talk about a few things. Uh, I know Sarah does is not she's not into the whole Head Start thing, uh because I asked her about that earlier. But there's a story here in, about the, the whole Head Start program that just well, it rubs me the wrong way. Let's just put it that way. The whole thing with the uh the woe is me, almost half of Alaskan's Head Start programs could lose millions due to under enrollment. Uh, is the argument here And I'm just like Well maybe there's not Enough of a demand For that uh, Anyway um, th- We can have a whole discussion About that an hour or two Plus we'll hit some other headlines uh, We'll talk I mean Barbie Did you see that Barbie 155 million Beat out Oppenheimer Of all things uh, so The movies must be back baby in A movie like Barbie hits mega blockbuster status On a single weekend Uh, Anyway, uh, there's a lot of things to talk about an hour or two, but uh, we're going to get to that here. But first, let's uh, let's let's do our due diligence. Let's do our let's do the duty. Let's do the do Uh, here. We're going to jump into it with uh, Sarah Montalbano, uh, our guest from the Alaska Policy Forum to talk about education and the pandemic. Good morning, Sarah. How are you, my dear?
1: Good morning. I'm doing pretty well. How about
3: you? You know, it's a Monday. Uh, I did a lot of work. I <clears throat> I actually worked uh, for like 14 hours yesterday uh, doing some stuff. And uh, I I feel like I accomplished something, but I really need my weekend. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, one, it's one of those things. Anyway, uh, it's good to have you with us, Sarah. Um And of course, you know, this is a little bit of a slack time for us where politics is kind of, you know, all the politicians are off in the pucker brush taking vacation before they got to knuckle down for the uh, new session and everything else. And there's not always a lot of things happening, but I picked up an interesting, well, first and foremost, uh, we want to talk a little bit about because you, you, last time you were here, you talked about uh, the COVID monies that were coming out and you guys were putting out a, a, a brief uh, that was talking about that. So we haven't had a chance to really you and I to chat about it. I read the article after you put it out, but it kind of went hand in glove with an article from uh, the Reason Foundation uh, talking about the funding education uh, and what happened during the COVID uh, period where we had an induced learning loss and it taking its toll on students uh, and kind of the whole smear of what's going on over there and the fact that school choice is now expanding um, all over the place In fact uh, Some interesting things Including Double the anticipated enrollment In some areas And and everything else So I want to kind of Get into all this um, Let's start off with uh, Your findings On the Because this is what gets me the, the poor Again the whole head start thing That I just talked about But it's kind of indicative Of the whole Poor poor pitiful us We just can't do it Without the money And yet there are hundreds Hundreds of millions of dollars in COVID funds that still remain unexpended in the state, and I've got questions. So let's uh, let's get started, shall we? We'll just we'll just get started here.
1: Absolutely. Um, Alaska Policy Forum has been tracking where this COVID money, how it's being spent, what districts were awarded, how much uh, since. 2020, when all of this funding came out, Alaska school districts in total were awarded uh, $538 million. Um, So that's, that's a lot of money in itself. Um, And they've spent 64% of those funds as of um, the end of June. So they're sitting on 194 million, that's 36%. Uh, Some districts are really interesting because they've spent it all. It is gone. They've got zero percent, zero dollars left of this money. And a lot of districts are still hoarding it. We've still got districts that are sitting on 70 or 80 percent of their funds. So in our, our pieces, we line out a table, all 53 of Alaska school districts, and we show exactly how much money they've got left.
3: And, you know, let's uh, let's talk about it because there were – I know that there were some strings and noodles and things attached where, you know, they had to do it for specific things. Um, but it also did not have, I think, enough restrictions in where it was allowing it to be – they were paying, in some cases, some reoccurring costs with this one-time money. Now, you would think that there would be some kind of guidelines or recommendations to not pay reoccurring costs with one-time money because – you know it's called a false dependency you don't want to create a false dependency um but uh the, the you know what kind of restrictions were we dealing with what what did they what did they have listed there?
1: the original intent of this federal funding uh was mostly to stop this learning loss that we'll we'll end up talking about later. Um, Look, we need to remediate. Some of that's going to be, you know, good uses of this funding would be things like after school programs or some additional in school time uh, for some of these things uh, to try to do this. But what a lot of districts did was start spending it on salaries and benefits. Uh, And in the uh, Department of Education's dashboard where they lay out this information, they've got neat little pie charts showing exactly uh, where these funds are going proportionally. And a lot of these districts have spent half or more of their funds on salaries and benefits. And, you know, official guidelines do say, you know, that's okay. Uh, You can hire new school, you know staff, uh, if that's appropriate. But what you really need to think about is that this is one time only. Um, This is not going to be something that you can maintain this level of staffing. Uh, So you need to either find that money from someplace else, or you're gonna have to have do layoffs. And we've been warning about this since 2020, when these funds came out. Uh, It's just it's not reckless and not very responsible uh, to to fund these recurring costs with one time funding.
3: No, I mean, it seems counterproductive in the long run because it leaves you, uh, I guess I would say, further behind the eight ball in the long run because then you have to try and make up for this funding. If you shift the money that you were – spent, for example, if you're shifting the money that you were spending on salaries to pay for something else and then you use the one-time funding uh, funding for the salaries – then you create this hole that you come back in. And, and that's kind of what's happened, right? I mean, the Anchored the most recklessly, the Anchorage School District, which by the way, uh had um on hand, right now the Anchorage School District has 70, almost $75 million on hand. They spent about 110 million, 109, 110 million, and they have about 75 million on hand, but they keep going on and on and on about how they just don't have any money. Well, part of that was because they shifted the monies from salaries in certain areas and they used the one-time funding for it and now they've created this hole in their budget. It's it's like it was almost a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point.
1: Yeah, and and one of the education think tanks I really like, Edgenomics, Georgetown University, um they've been saying like look, districts have been looking at this fiscal cliff and they have been plugging their budget holes with this funding. And they've known for you know a few years that they're going to need more funds or they're going to need to start taking actions to live within their means. Um, and they've just been kicking the can down the road. And now they're turning to legislate legislatures and legislatures aren't always going to give you what you need. Um, so it's it's something that, you know, is not very thoughtful to to kick the can down and now now we've got an emergency for funding uh because you know you've you've known about this for a while federal funds swooped in and came to the rescue and now you're facing the same situation you were facing back in 2019 uh but you're able to say look at these drastic cuts we don't have this federal funding anymore
3: that's the thing here's what kills me (laughs) they they know that there's an issue they know that there's an issue they get the bailout I mean for lack of a better term and they could do some shifting around and pay off some of the one-time things I mean I don't even I'm not even opposed to them holding back some of it for you know rainy day or something else whatever the you know however the mandate is because well mm-hmm. this money's going to expire I mean right that's yes. one of the things that yeah. <clears throat> we didn't really talk about yet but even if the mm-hmm. money didn't expire and they wanted to bank a little bit of it but just this kind of recklessness uh, and Anchorage is not the only school district that did, that did this. They're just, I think, in the most obvious and egregious in this point. But, I mean, yeah. why, you know, why? Why would <clears throat> why would you spend it on reoccurring things when you know it's a one-time thing? It's almost as if, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but it's almost as if they want to kind of create this crisis point of, see, we're underfunded kind of thing. Um, but it's yeah. a, it's an underfunding of... You're of circumstance. You're making it. You decided to do that. You decided to make those things happen. And that's the part that I'm just trying to wrap my brain around.
1: Yeah, I mean, these funds expire, I want to say, September 2024. So they've got maybe a year to do this. Um you know, and seventy-five million is a lot of money to go through in a year. Maybe not nice. just such an, an enormous school district as ASD. Um, so I understand having to use some of it on salaries and benefits. You know, when you're you're you know trying to spend this, it's use it or lose it. Um, but there's there's just a lot of things like this. Money was not intended to keep things going as usual for lack of a better term. Um, It it was meant to put into place these temporary programs and efforts that will help mitigate learning loss. Uh, And I think that's just so contrary to the intent of of how this money was supposed to be used, uh, that it's just being funneled into regular day-to-day business. Uh, And I think that's really unfortunate.
3: I mean, the learning loss, I mean, this was supposed to be put towards PPE, PPE, uh, you know, Thanks. electronics and materials to be able to do, you know, enable remote learning, building out websites or, you know, it was all about keeping mm-hmm. the kids connected during the pandemic. Now, here we are ooh, three years out of the beginning of the pandemic. School is mm-hmm. returned to, you know, quasi normal. And mm-hmm. and yet there's. A lot of them are st- sitting on – I'm just going through the list here. Uh, I'll post, by the way, for folks who are interested in this article, I'll post the link in the chat room so folks can take a look at it along with us. But I'm looking at the percentage remaining. You know, Alaska Gateway, 33%. Aleutian Region, 75 33 41 10 29 Anchorage School District – Fairbanks School District has got 30% remaining. The Anchorage School District's got 41% remaining. 50%. I mean, it's just – you go down the list. And there is between, especially in the big districts, there's, you know, 30 to 45 percent of this money remaining. And here we are three years later. And yet we hear from each and every one of them that we just we don't have enough money. We're going to have to raise the local contribution. We're going to have to raise the state contribution. It becomes... Well, it's weaponized because now they can see what's on in the, you know, they can see what's on in the uh, um, in the legislature coming up is going to be the BSA discussion and everything else. And it f- kind of furthers that argument of, oh, we're underfunded because most people don't realize that this money is there.
1: Mm-hmm. absolutely and that's that's one of the reasons we've been trying to document this from the beginning is say look look at this extra funding that's coming and first of all you know the BSA is not the whole story you know the this this federal funding there's a lot of federal grant programs that come into Alaska school districts uh and this is just one of the biggest and most recent uh it's it's really remarkable that you know, but We look through this list and some of these school districts are down at, you know, 2% of their funding, you know, there's, there's a few that are down into 16% that's privil off, you know, so some of these really, you know, obviously cranked it into gear right afterward, spent this money hopefully on things that were worthwhile to, to the children and were um, responsive to the learning loss and the PPE needs uh, and, you know, health and safety, things like that. And then there's just a lot of districts that are sitting on it. And it's it's really interesting behavior to me to see how each of these districts have responded.
3: Uh, Sarah Montalbano is our guest. She's the uh, education policy analyst for the Alaska Policy Forum. We are on the break, coming up right now. We're going to continue with Sarah here in just a moment. Uh, We'll be back. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. It's Monday. Fun day. Monday. We we put the fun in Monday so that it's fun day. I I don't know. We're going to be back. Don't go anywhere. Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. We return with more right after this.
0: If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
3: Okay, Sarah Montalbano uh, uh, is with us uh, here in the chat. We're in the commercial break right now. And uh, we're just uh, we're just enjoying life, Sarah. How how was <clears throat> how was your weekend? Did you have you did you enjoy it, or are you just a slave to the grindstone every day? What are you doing?
1: <laughs> I, I enjoyed it this weekend. I had a very nice time. Read some some interesting books out from the American Enterprise Institute. So I guess that's kind of work, but it was a lot of fun anyway. It's kind of um, work.
3: This is she's so exciting. What'd you do this weekend? I read books. It was awesome. I read so many books. It was amazing. I know. You have
1: no idea.
3: No, that's it. You know, if that's uh, if that's what makes you happy that I mean, I'll look outside. I was stuck in the studio for a good part of the weekend. I, I no, a 14 finished. hour day. I Well, I was I was on the I was on the final sprint to the finish i was working on chris story's audiobook and i'm just i've been behind the power curve and i finally so i'm stuck in the studio where it's just it's hot in the studio <laughs> and i walk outside and my wife sitting in a chair reading her book on her kindle just you know in the sun with a dog on it and i'm just like oh that would that would be sometimes reading a book sounds nice you know what i mean yeah. so definitely uh definitely some good stuff um, <clears throat> all right. So uh, what else? Uh, I, don't, I hate to repeat, so I don't want to get too far deep in the weeds here. What are you working on right now, Sarah? Anything that uh, folks uh, should know about? Uh, or is it kind of slow season for you here in the, in the interim non-school year? Or are you plenty busy?
1: Uh, our work never stops. Uh, this is, you know, our summers where we're doing a lot of the deep analysis. Um, so I've got some interesting data sets right now about uh, spending and revenues. Um, I'm, you know, working on some kind of transparency stuff. Uh, we've got some very interesting things coming out soon, but I cannot uh, spoil spoil the surprise too much. But I'll make sure to send it to you when when it's out. Um, yeah
3: it's it's been just a really really good time <laughs> <laughs> It's been again
1: it doesn't slow down yeah we don't we don't have a lot.
3: <laughs> again she's like it's a really good time to do get into all these numbers and uh and to read a book on the weekend that's the of you know course. again the definition of a wonk I love that word wonk she's, I
1: love it too I'm yeah. glad other people like it
3: <laughs> yeah no I think it's a cool word I mean it uh It uh, people are like, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, she's kind of a she lives and breathes this stuff. That's what it's all about. Uh, And you kind of got to love when you're an analyst like this, with numbers, you kind of got to love that. Right. I mean, you can't just be like, oh, it's okay, but you kind of got to live it and breathe it.
1: Yeah. This is not the kind of job you can just drag yourself into work and not enjoy uh because otherwise it'll just fry your brain a little bit
3: (laughs) exactly and there is that man there's a lot of numbers when i look at this cash uh this cash number here for alaskans and i start thinking about it 538 million for the whole state um but with 194 million still sitting in there and Mm -hmm. and i gotta be honest i get a little irritated because i'm thinking wait a second you're crying about how you're so underfunded, and when we get back, we're going to remind people about what the real funding situation looks like. But you know, they keep crying about, "Oh, we're so underfunded." Yet they're sitting on a hundred million. Do you know what the Anchorage school district's budget is for a single year? It's
1: oh, it's up in the eight hundred millions. Yeah, I, I mean say. it's pretty
3: significant. So yeah. they've still got you know, 10 percent of it sitting around in an account somewhere. And yet mm-hmm. they continue, like I said, to kind of cry poor mouth. And it just seems so disingenuous uh, on this. And, yeah, I just see Terry talking about learning loss in the Matsu with the COVID and then the bus strike and now a teacher strike on the horizon and everything else. Yeah. I mean, you're right. We haven't even talked about the ramifications of the learning loss, which we'll get into with Sarah as well. But it just seems, again, the whole thing seems kind of ginned up in in that regard kind of and i don't know if you want to comment on that in 30 seconds but i'll let you have the floor for a second
1: it is concerning and it's one of these things that i would understand if alaska's districts were doing their job and really teaching kids the basics of literacy and math but they're not doing that anyway so that's my frustration
3: yeah it's um it's it's significant all right sarah Montabano, our guest Uh, From the Alaska Policy Forum, the Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. Public
0: enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, Enemy. Public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh,
3: Michael Duke Show. Ah, uh, t- what? I'm not a pain. Just ask Sarah. I am not a pain. I, I mean, I always provide good, useful information. No. Uh, all right, uh, Sarah Montalbano, our guest, the education policy analyst for the Alaska Policy Forum. We've been talking about the COVID money, the cash uh, to try and prevent. Um, That learning loss, which we've talked about, we're going to get into that here uh, in just a second and talk about the effects of the learning loss. Uh, But first, uh, I did want to revisit just for a second, because, again, we were talking during the break about how um, there's kind of this, you know, (laughs) I've been using this phrase lately. You know, they're all in it together and they're all doing it on purpose kind of thing, you know. And it just seems like with all this this crying about lack of monies and it, and this self kind of self-created crisis, uh, and, of course, the mantra that we keep hearing from the news media, which is, oh, education is so underfunded and they haven't had an increase. And you did the numbers on this, Sarah. So, I mean, this is a refresher. You've talked about this before, but I want to come back to it. I mean, they keep saying, you know, Alaska hasn't had an increase in education. They're talking about the BSA, but then they conflate. The overall education budget with the BSA, and it's this easy conflation because people don't understand you know, what is what, um, but it's untrue, right? I mean, Alaska has had a pretty significant increase in education funding over the last 19 or 20 years, uh, upwards of over 30 percent or so. The BSA has actually even crept up a bit, not as much as they want it to, but overall, education spending in the state has risen, right?
1: Absolutely. I believe thirty percent is accurate uh, to what I discovered. Um, and this it's just so interesting to look at school funding in general because the there's the school funding formula. The BSA is only one part of that. We have the multipliers for rural school districts and special education, and you know, intensive needs students and things like that that really, you know end up multiplying this quite a bit. So it's not just one BSA per student. It ends up being a, a multiplier higher than that. Uh, and then there's all sorts of things like the one-time funding that the legislature grants occasionally, it granted this year, um, and in federal funds, there's a lot of federal grant programs that run some of these, you know, more mundane things uh, or more specialized things. Uh, so there's there's so much money coming into education. Education spending actually has risen, I think, 32% uh, over, um, gosh, the past Decade or two, in excess of inflation. So this is this is something that is a, a narrative. Um, I, I really do think it's interesting because that's true. The BSA hasn't increased very much, uh, right. but that's not the whole story.
3: Well, it's always you know that's what you do, right? You you wrap a lie in the nugget of truth. And you say, look, the education hasn't increased. And, oh, I was really talking just about the BSA. They can always go back and say, oh, I was really just because we started off talking about the BSA. And then I use the term overall funding. And, you know, uh, again, it's um, it's PR at that point. Right. I mean, it's <laughs> it's really just spin. And that's what we're facing right now. And again, add to the fact that they knew that these monies that they were using uh, are only one time monies. And it starts to look a little sus it starts to look a little suspicious when it's all uh, when it's all said and done. Let's talk about the learning loss. Uh, there has been, I mean, there's a significant impact on children, and I've over the last <clears throat> couple months, three months, there's been some other studies now that have come out and really analyzed what that learning loss looks like from the COVID. Because now we're essentially almost two years out from basically all the schools being on hiatus for a period of time and everything else. And we're starting to see the results of this. Um, give me some ideals on what the COVID learning loss look like uh, across the country and in the state of Alaska.
1: Sure. I This may be too early to reference uh, your, your Reason article, but they cite a study by the Northwest uh, Education Association, NWEA, uh, and they've found that we're still not gaining learning time back, you know, in the 2022-2023 school year. Um, you know, the average student is still about four months behind in English language arts, uh, four and a half months in math. Uh, and that time needs to to happen. This isn't something where we can just say, yeah, as a society, we're just five months behind in the subjects now. And, you know, when you graduate, you're five months less of learning. Uh, So that means we need to step up our pace of learning. And that's just not something that's happened. We've gotten uh, close to the same pre-pandemic pace, but since we've fallen so behind, that just means we're, we're starting to catch up, but there's not you know we're not actually closing the gap. Uh so i we're finally seeing the results come out in these studies uh in Alaska, you know, again, I'll say it, uh, 49th on the national assessment of educational progress. Um, you know, we are uh seeing this but our problems were bad before uh so you know we're we're exacerbating this this
3: that's the worst part we were already before the pandemic we were 49th and 50th in education we were already well behind the power curve and when we get to here it's like oh god now it's, it's even now it's even worse than what it was
1: exactly and it's it's you know, really astounding. I think one of the reasons we you know we didn't fall further uh, is is because we've had the correspondence school program. A lot of these students you know have been able to just continue as usual. They've had their their semi online learning. Uh, so you know, a large proportion of Alaska students got that, and we saw you know I'll say it again ninety two percent increase in enrollment in the correspondence program between pre pandemic year, post pandemic. You know, in the twenty twenty 2021 um, school year. And that's, that's something that a lot of parents have liked. Uh, It's really, you know, helped, I think, you know, stop us from declining further. Uh, But it's, we've really, we've really got some significant problems in Alaska and learning loss is just making it worse.
3: And of course, this is, uh, this is something that's going to have a generational effect. I mean, I I think in the long run, um, I was speaking with somebody here recently who graduated excuse me, who graduated right uh, in uh, 2021, I guess, right that last year. Their last year was the COVID year. And they said, yeah, I just – they said I totally felt ill-prepared when it was all said and done to launch out into the wilderness. And that's had a trickle-down effect as well because now you've had kids who basically – have decided, and I think maybe this was a silver lining because it, they decided not to take the college track. They said, yeah. I didn't feel right about it, Bob. And then they said, well, but there was trades and now, you know, kind of the exposure during COVID of seeing where some of the soft spots were in the job market and how they needed more trades or tech work or blue collar stuff. And now, and now we're seeing more of an increase in trade schools and av tech and, and vocational stuff and all this kind of stuff. So maybe that, Was a bright spot
1: in all that? I do think so. Uh, I'm really glad you mentioned that because the COVID pandemic has really given us an opportunity to rethink K-12 education and schooling, but also what a successful life looks like after uh, high school. Um, so I, I do think it's really been a bright spot. People have seen that demands for trades jobs uh, has you know, improved. Uh, there's real shortages in a lot of these uh, fields. Uh, you can make really decent money doing a lot of these things with only an apprenticeship or maybe a community college degree, you know tech, just, just general vocational training. Um, and that's one of the things that I really think is bright is it made people start thinking about this default path. Well, I do high school and then I go to college, of course, uh, and they know that's not enough course for everyone. Uh, so I really do think that's one of the bright spots of the pandemic. And c- colleges look different, too, if you do right. end up going to college. Uh, so it's it's really one of those interesting things.
3: One of the other things that came out of the ca- of the pandemic, of course, is the expansion of school choice. And we're now into the heart of this Reason article, which talks specifically about um, the school choice expanding across the country. Uh, various okay. states have shown Made different decisions and different things. But basically, people started to embrace the idea that there could be alternatives to brick-and-mortar school. And that was shocking to many of them, I'm sure, because they've been told how hard it was to homeschool or how hard it was or how this or how that. And then they saw the absolute poo parade that regular education was. And so they started looking out for alternatives and figured out it wasn't as hard as they thought. In fact, in some ways, it was better. And states started to expand that uh, that choice um, so give me, uh, give me your thoughts here on the rundown of some of the different uh, states out there Especially, I had to laugh because one of them was um, uh, that the uh, I'm trying to remember which state it was now uh, well, Maybe it wasn't in this article But basically uh, their enrollment was double They were expecting about 14,000 people to enroll And instead the second that they turned the whole system on Like 30,000 people signed up for it It was insane Give me the rundown
1: That was Iowa. So um, it's it's a really 2023 has been really exciting for school choice. Uh, It's been eight states put wins on the map Um, and four of those actually are uh, full universal education savings accounts available to all students, regardless of income. Uh, That's Arkansas, Iowa, Utah and Florida. Um, so they've really they've joined Arizona and West Virginia in making the these funds available to all students. And a lot of ESAs are you know six thousand to eight thousand dollars, depending on whether you're in um, you know K through eight or if you're in high school, uh, things like that. So these vouchers are have really seen some impressive demand, and you can spend them on things like going to a private school. In a lot of states, that is most or all of private school tuition. Um, You know and and then you can buy you know educational materials or tutoring or you know maybe even college credits uh you know there's there's a lot of interesting customizable flexible ways you can use these funds and i think what people what parents saw in the pandemic was their kids sitting down at the kitchen table for a few hours a day listening to a teacher lecture at them with their cameras off their mic muted and they're just not paying attention. They're totally disengaged. And I think a lot of parents have seen the opportunity to re-engage their kids by finding things that they like and that is useful to them. I know ESAs may help kids catch up from this pandemic learning loss because they're able to customize it to their needs.
3: And I think, again, that if there's a silver lining, there's a handful of silver linings out of the pandemic, and this is one, kind of the exposure of how Brick and mortar schools, while fine in the mean, are kind of failing a big portion of the students out there. And the fact that they have been reticent to expand or explore other options or have competition in any way, shape or form kind of speaks volume to this whole problem.
1: I, I agree completely. And what we saw was schools trying to do schooling in the same way, but from a computer you know, they're not thinking about flexible ways. Okay, how can I, you know, have my students show that they learn the material? It's, is it just going to be lectures again and again on the TV? Um, You know, it's not, it, we didn't take the opportunity to really change how things work in public schools. You know, we just tried to translate it to some other format. Right. And that didn't really work for a lot of kids. Right. Uh, so I, I really am encouraged by, um, you know, this growth of VSAs. And it doesn't mean that You know, school choice is going to be the thing for every kid and every family. It could be. But for a lot of people, public school is still going to be the default or their preferred choice. Um, So we need to take these lessons from the pandemic and not just go back to schooling the way it always has been.
3: Well, and find a way to increase this, again, to increase this gap or decrease this gap on the learning loss. I mean, again, here we are two, three years later, and we have a four-month gap on the learning loss from this uh, NWEA brief. Uh, that we were talking about in the Reason article, which I will also post up in the chat room for folks to read on their own. But I mean, that's that's the biggest challenge. Any thoughts here about a minute and a half? Any thoughts on how we close that gap even more? I mean, any suggestions from your perspective and looking at what other states are doing? And I mean, how do we how do we do that?
1: well we're not going to be able to do this if we don't find the extra time from somewhere and i'm not suggesting that we need a longer school year or we need longer school days or anything like this we need to rethink how teachers are spending their time because teachers are doing a lot of things that are not directly teaching students they're doing paperwork they're hall monitoring they're you know supervising the cafeteria they're not always using their skills to the best extent that they can with that time. So really getting more instructional time within the school day is going to help.
3: Sarah Montalbano is our guest. She's the Education Policy Analyst for the Alaska Policy Forum. As she said, Alaska, Well, we couldn't really have gotten any worse because we were really the worst when the whole pandemic began. So the fallout, I mean, it's not like we could fall. We would just fall proportional to pretty much everybody else. Uh, She's got an article out, though, just from a couple days ago, talking about some of the potential solutions, I believe. So we're going to talk about that. What are some of the accountability measures? What are some of the things we can do about this? Sarah Montalbano continues with us. Uh, It is Montalbano Monday. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We we'll return with more right after this.
0: Listen to by more staffers in Juno than any other show because their bosses told them to, and after what they just heard, oh man. They're going to be best.
2: You're a bad, bad
0: man. The Michael Duke Show.
3: Boy, man. All right. Uh, Sarah Montalbano, our guest. The, the last, I mean, I hate to say that, but it's the truth, right? I mean, we didn't have... <clears throat> it's not like we could have fallen any further out of the bottom of the bucket. I suppose we could have gone from 49th to 50th in a, in one or two of the things, but we were already there. That's the worst part. I mean, we spend, and you probably know the number more than we do. I know that we spend one of the highest per student expenditures in the country on Mm -hmm. education, and yet we're still in the bottom of the heap. And the answer, whenever you go to talk to the talking heads or the educational people or anything, is, well, if we just had more funding, we could do better. And, And... I don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, we look at Florida. We look at some of these other states. It hasn't taken more funding. It's taken a, It's taken uh, having to step back and take a look at how you're doing it, the actual fundamentals of the process, and analyze that, right?
1: Yes. More funding can make a difference up to a point, but it really depends on what you're spending it on. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if it's getting – absorbed by administrative costs. Um, and that figure uh, for 2020, the census put uh, Alaska's per student spending at $18,313. I've seen estimates up to about $2,100 district averages. Twenty uh, one, so 21,000, no 21, 21, not
3: 2100. 21,000. Yeah.
1: 21,000. Yeah, 21, there we go. There we go. Thank you. Um, no, it's it's no matter how you slice it, we're spending an, a really remarkable amount of money uh, on on our outcomes, and we're just not seeing them. Uh, so, you know, I think Florida in particular, Florida's success has been tied to its early literacy initiatives uh, passed about two decades ago in the early 2000s uh, that really, you know, required, um, you know, students to show that they are able to read in order to go on to fourth grade. Uh, from third grade, and so it implemented a lot of you know early interventions for literacy, and that skyrocketed them up the NAEP. Um, they're they're really doing quite well. Mississippi implemented the same early literacy programs, and they are now second in the nation, I believe, for um, low income fourth graders on the NAEP. So it really depends on your funds being used for particular programs that'll really make a difference on these baseline skills. Um, And just not getting soaked up in general day-to-day costs.
3: Well, and I wonder, I mean, you know, if I was king for a day and I was in charge, I'd be like looking at every place around the country where they had something that worked. And I would be using that. I'd be pulling it in and copycatting it and saying, okay, that worked here. Oh, that worked there. Oh, that worked here. But anytime, it's like this read by nine thing. Mm -hmm. We knew it was successful, but it was this tooth and nail fight over getting it implemented, and I'm like, people, this worked. I mean, we saw that it worked. I mean, if we po- if we follow the if you follow the step by step instructions, it works. Why are we fighting this? I mean, that's the big problem.
1: Yeah, Alaska is unique, but it is not so unusually different that it can't learn from the experiences of other states. That's how I feel about it. Um, and you know, read by nine is really one of those things. It's going into effect this school year. Hopefully, we'll start seeing. You know, improvements over the next few years. But this is really the, the kind of thing that, you know, you spend time debating it and you're, you're failing kids while you're spending that time. You know, you're not uh, helping them in the way that we've seen in Mississippi and Florida. Uh, and so it's, 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 really remarkable. And I want us to be looking carefully at this 50 state experiment that we have. uh, They've all got their own education systems. We can all learn a little bit from each and every one of them.
3: Right. Uh, Jeannie in the chat room asks, what's the roadblock that keeps us from being able to implement common sense education, moving us away from brick and mortar? Is it the administrators? I mean, what, what are you in your mind? What's the roadblock?
1: Fascinating question. There's a lot of them. Uh, One of the biggest, I think, is that we have a very entrenched um, system that is based on teachers being in the classroom and seat time with students. Um, You know, administration is certainly one part of it. There's a large block of administrators that, you know, wouldn't necessarily have jobs in another system. Um, But I think there's just a lot of resistance to change in education because it is a bureaucracy like any other. It is like any other government system. Uh, So there's going to be a resistance to change no matter what. Um, You've got so many people dependent for their employment on this system remaining the way it is. Uh, And students are children. They're not able to advocate uh, the way that you know, needs to happen uh, for for a lot of these changes to go through, and I think one of the biggest ones is that parents parents once their kids are out of school, they no longer care as much about education.
3: Right. No, I mean I agree, um, and I think that's the thing. You have to be engaged in the moment while it's happening, uh, and you should be engaged. And I think the administrators are as uh, to blame. I think the or, the unions are another component that are problematic. Mm-hmm. We'll, uh, <clears throat> we'll continue this discussion in just a minute. Sarah Montalbano, our guest, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share. Here we go. All right, we're continuing now. Sarah Montalbano, our guest, from the Alaska Policy Forum. We're continuing now. Final segment for the uh, hour one uh, of the show here this morning. Uh, We're going to finish things up with some solutions. Uh, We we were just talking about, you know, what are some of the roadblocks? What's causing this? What is the things that keep us from being able to, uh, you know, to improve what we have? I mean, I said that. We should be looking at every other school district in the country, and if they have a program that's working, we need to look at the components, analyze it, incorporate it into what we're doing, and learn from them. I mean, you know, you said, Sarah, this is the 50-state experiment on education, right, because each state has their own educational system. So we should be looking at these different places and picking and choosing what's working and incorporate it and create the ultimate you know, Rube Golder device that spits out kids at the end who are happy, you know, healthy, wealthy, and wise kind of thing that understand, that can read, can write, do arithmetic. That's what we should be doing,
1: yeah. We have such an opportunity to learn from what other states are doing. And I think we've just have an attitude that we're not we're we're so unique, we're not going to to learn uh, from from these other states,, uh, which is really a shame.
3: You have written an article. That came out just a couple days ago. Uh, Senate had opportunities to tie BSA increase to outcomes and you kind of do a postmortem on the entire session and talk yes. about it. Um, and you show time and time and time again where <clears throat> the amendments that would have tied. I mean, and this seems to be it. There seems to be a reticence uh, or hesitation to type to put any kind of accountability measures in in money. That's, they just want all the money, no strings attached, just give it to us. We'll do what we want with it. We know better than you and you kind of go through this whole thing. Run, run me down.
1: Yeah. So there was a Senate bill, um, to increase the BSA permanently. I think it's original version, uh, had a thousand dollar increase, which remembering that with the multipliers that ends up being a lot more than a thousand dollars per kid, but regardless, um, there were 12 amendments offered. Uh, many of these were related to accountability. Um, one of the interesting ones, you know, basically says, you know, deed needs to establish district district standards for improving proficiency. Um, and, you know, if this BSA increase went through, uh, it would require uh, a certain percentage, I think 70%. Uh, to go to instruction provided by certified teachers. And I'm not throwing my weight behind any particular amendment. All of these have, have interesting components and issues. Um, but the, the baseline message of this is that there needs to be accountability. Uh, there needs to be um, either accountability or there needs to be more school choice outcomes so that kids can go somewhere else. Um, when they they aren't getting served the way they need to by school districts, um, so you know we need greater transparency in how this money is being spent. Uh, it would be really interesting, I think, to see how much uh, is getting spent on salaries and benefits for certificated teachers uh, who are doing the instruction day to day, things like that. It, it would be just really important to see how is this money being spent. In alaska
3: well and we've highlighted that with example for the 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 bsa formula i mean it's not just a single <laughs> formula it's so complicated you got to have a slide rule in a supercomputer to figure out who gets what and when and what the differences are the variations and everything i mean the average person is not going to take the time to try and figure this out and yet we are being tasked with you know supporting it funding it figuring it out it's uh, it's a challenge. I mean, we should be able to see exactly where this goes. And by the way, the seventy percentile, you may not, you may not endorse any other. No. I would endorse that simply because I think part of the problem is, and you've highlighted this in another article that we've talked about, the administrative overhead in some of these areas is unbelievable. We're talking about two to three administrators, uh, you know, for every one to two teachers. I mean, that's a that's a challenge. I mean, when you're trying to put money in the classroom to get kids taught and you keep hearing stories about how the teacher had to go out of pocket to buy things for this Mm -hmm. classroom. And, and yet you've got two administrators for every one or two teachers, um, or three administrators for every two teachers or whatever, even on a one-to-one basis, it seems like that's overkill.
1: Yeah. And, and getting these dollars to the classroom where they can make a difference for students is one of the things that we really need to be thinking about carefully. Um, it's one of these amendments, I forget which one, um, basically proposed that teachers get, you know, a certain amount of money, $1,000 or so, uh, to be able to spend it just out of pocket for their students in the way they see fit. And I think that's a really interesting idea for, you know, getting it directly to the classrooms, uh, giving teachers this boost so that they're not spending money out of pocket. um, And so that it makes the most difference for that particular classroom full of kids. Um, so there's, there was just a lot of really interesting ideas proposed, uh, in this BSA increase, but instead of passing a bill, uh, the legislature just went ahead and did a one-time increase in the budget kicking the can down the road again.
3: Well, and and that was the worst part. I mean, after this whole fight, and there was a lot of fights going on over here with what I thought was some very thoughtful amendments. Um, mm-hmm. But it was just this reticence, you know, by the, by their nails, no, we're not going in that direction. And in the end, they're like, we'll just give them some, we'll just give them money. And there's no mm-hmm. accountability. There's no, there's no recourse. There's no tracking. There's no nothing. We'll just give them the money. And that was the answer. Again, we've done that year on year decade on decade, and we're 49th out of 50th in most of the statistics and the and the I, you know, Sarah, uh last two and a half minutes here. I'm gonna give you the floor. Do you have, you know, what is your solution? Looking at this, analyzing it, looking at the cash for COVID, looking at what the Senate and the House did and and what the, the appropriations are, looking at what other states are doing and the ESA and this give us your final two and a half minutes here of thoughts on how we can improve the educational Uh, system in Alaska?
1: Enormous question again. Uh, I love it. Uh, I'm only here to help. The biggest thing I see is increasing these opportunities for school choice in Alaska. Um, Kids need to have the option and the flexibility. We've seen after the pandemic that they have really unique needs. Not everyone is being served well by sitting in a classroom for six hours a day. Uh, The second thing is that these public school districts uh, and schools they need to be more transparent with their funding and how it's happening, where it's going, uh, what what this money is being spent on, uh, and that these increases do need to be tied to accountability for our lousy outcomes uh, on the national scale. Uh, you know, our schools are just not doing what they need to be able to do, which is teach you know basic reading and basic mathematics. Uh, so that's that's one of the things I think transparency would go a long way. Easy to read. Uh, understandable for the general public, parents, uh, all people that are very, very busy and don't have time to wade through a 200 page financial audit of the district once a year. Right. Things like that.
3: Well, and while I will say uh, that, uh, you know, probably a majority of parents really, truly do care. You also have a component Mm -hmm. of parents out there who are just basically like this is the world's greatest daycare. And as long (laughs) as my kids are taken care of and, you know, maybe that's what public school should be for. And everybody else should have the opportunity to engage and do something different. I mean, I, I. I I just don't know. Again, this is reason number 1403, why I homeschooled all my kids. Uh, And it should be an option for everyone. It it is an option, but it should be a better option. The ESA, these said savings accounts and school choice ought to be a bigger thing uh, in the long run. Absolutely. Yeah. Sarah Montalbano, our guest, the Alaska Policy Forum. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on board on this beautiful Monday. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you yeah it was a delight thank as, you so much
3: as as always it's a pleasure hold the line for just a second alright folks we are out of time hour two is dead ahead we're gonna chit chat about the headlines and I don't know whatever comes across my mind in the next hour back with more the Michael Duke show common sense radio Ah. Uh, you know, I just uh, so I have so so we could talk about this for hours, and unfortunately, I don't know as we would get any further. Uh, Sarah, I think you've you've done a yeoman's job of of kind of laying all this out and looking at it. You know, we have no accountability. We have the the, the lion's share of the funds are not going into the actual classroom, into the educational components. I mean, we could just go tick by tick by tick and take a look at all this. This is where spending all this money and we spend billions of dollars on education in this state and still Mm -hmm. have a lousy product in the end. Um, And there just doesn't seem to be anybody who's willing to really I mean, we have to admit that there's a problem, right? And it seems yeah. like many people are just like, "Well, it's a problem. We we'll just put more money at it, and they fixed it in their mind, and they're not willing to acknowledge that." I don't think it's the funding; it's the mechanism; it's the it's the process that we're dealing with now. We have to admit that the system is fundamentally broken before yeah. we can make any changes.
1: Yeah, we really we have a golden opportunity to hear it to to rethink how things are done. And it's just, there's been no appetite for it. We've come back from the pandemic, back into school buildings doing largely the same things. Uh, And those things just clearly aren't working.
3: I, I, I mean, I wish I wish I had a better—I mean, my solution was basically to just not participate, right? Which yeah. is probably not great for the overall—I th- mean, I've still been fighting for education, but at the same yeah. time, I took my kids out of the—you know, it's like you're in a battle royale in this arena, you know, gladiator-style <laughs> arena. And I'm like, well, I'm going to take my kids out of the arena while I battle the lions or so on and so forth instead of leaving them in the middle to be eaten. Uh, but some people just either don't have that choice or they just—they choose not to do that. Um, but something's got to be done i mean there are options in the state and you know statistically the homeschooling programs and charter schools and things like that they've always done better and again yeah. instead of looking at that and going boy what are they doing maybe we should talk to them i mean i thought during the pandemic maybe the you know the smartest thing that a school district could do is basically carbon copy what someplace like idea or galena or raven is doing and say well just carbon copy that because that's working for them but they had to build up whole new systems that really didn't work anyway. And and it, I don't know if it's infighting, if it's jealousy, if it's bureaucracy. What is it?
1: Hard to pinpoint, but one of the things they could have done is ask Idea, hey, can we, you know, either adapt your systems or start helping kids enroll in your school because you know what you're doing. You've been doing this. Uh, so I think, you know, school districts just spent a lot of time replicating the wheel over and over and over. And they made a lot of square wheels that didn't really work. Um, it's it it's just a general resistance to change, I think. that's just the nature of bureaucracies. Um, you know, education is a bureaucracy. It's got some really interesting features not seen in other bureaucracies, but it is a bureaucracy nonetheless. Uh, so we, we just have so many entrenched interests that's going to make it hard. And it's not the fault of parents like you who just opt out of, of doing things this way. Uh, but it is just in general that, that the parents, who are who are left in the public school system may may not know that there's something wrong. Um so it's it's a hard question. Well,
3: they'd have to be I mean, they'd have to have blinders on to not know that there's something. I mean, maybe they do, maybe it's willful blindness, but I mean, they've got to acknowledge that there's just something not Right. And like you said, I think the bureaucracies, they're so entrenched and they have such a vested interest in business as usual, keeping things going the way that they are. Uh, And, of course, again, the unions are behind the scenes pounding the pavement to make sure that those dollars keep flowing the way that they are. Um, It's, you know, but, but again, until we're willing to admit that there's a problem there's no way to fix it. There's no way to acknowledge it. The answer is always going to be just more money doing the same thing that we've been doing, which is the definition of insanity.
1: Yes. And I don't fault parents who are, you know, they, they get their kid's report card and it says all A's and they say, great, you're doing great in school. And so it's it's very hard for, I can never feel truly feel like blaming the parents is okay. Um, but it is, it is something that there's... T- They've got jobs they've got lives they're working right. very hard to support their families i don't blame them for not being able to pay attention to what the education system's doing uh it's just school needs to work better for families and students and parents
3: okay real final bite at the apple here last 60 seconds go
1: i thought that was a great one yeah. um <laughs> i i really do see this this pandemic opportunity um to to make public schools can look more like these school choice models. They can look more like charter schools and private schools and homeschooling without uh, losing their identity as a public school. A lot of parents say that they want, you know, one day at home of remote learning or something like that. Uh, so this is really an opportunity to be more flexible, uh, to, to find out what parents and students want uh, to make their learning experience better. That's that's really what I have to think about it. I
3: think the hybridized model would be interesting one or two days a week at home working with Mm -hmm. mom and dad, you know, instead of sending the kids home with two or three hours worth of homework because they don't have one on one instruction time and things like I think there could Mm -hmm. be a lot of things. Uh, And I think it's going to require a change mindset from the parents as well, because let's face it, they were Mm -hmm. all brought up in a regular school system where that was the answer. And they may have to reassess where they're at with that to decide that that's just not how we do it anymore. Uh, I mean, these parents are all engaged about Johnny's soccer things or the hockey deal or whatever. Be just as engaged about his learning opportunity. And again, maybe those one or two days a week at home. Uh, I mean, I think it could be a fantastic option. Um, Precisely. Yeah. Uh,
1: Schools need to start trying it.
3: Yep. Absolutely. Just try things out. Sarah Montalbano, our guest. Sarah, as always, you are a breath of fresh air. We,
1: I appreciate
3: that. We appreciate you coming in and joining us. Thanks for being with us today.
1: Thank you. I all, appreciate it.
3: All right, folks. We are out of time. We're about ready to jump into this. Hour two is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show common sense liberty based free thinking radio what are we going to talk about i have no idea we'll figure it out back with more here we go Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to the program. It's Monday. Yep, Monday. We like to call it Fun Day Monday. <laughs> Only because it's not trademarked. It's not like Taco Tuesday which was trademarked with just fun Day Monday, and hopefully we're all, uh, we're all enjoying it together. All right, so uh, what do we got going on uh, here? We just finished up with Sarah Montalbano from the Alaska Policy Forum, and we had a deep dive into a couple different things. Uh, first and foremost, we talked about the uh, amount of COVID money That's still going on, uh, still on hand, that they still have available out there and how this continuous push by um, the the education folks, the the bureaucrats, the policy folks and politicians for a push to education funding, because somehow, some way they just don't have enough money is mm, disingenuous in many cases at best. Or a self-inflicted wound at worst. I mean, a self-created problem. Um, and what does that mean? Uh, we keep looking at, for example, the ones that seem to be squawking the loudest are, of course, some of the biggest uh, some of the biggest uh, school districts and uh, organizations out there, including the Anchorage School District. Which currently has $75 million in COVID funds that they have just about a year to spend, that they still are sitting on that. Fairbanks North Star Borough sitting on about $11 million. Kenai Peninsula Borough sitting on $11 million. The Matsu School District, uh, Borough School District, $21 million that they're sitting on right now. There are millions and millions of dollars unspent in fact overall uh, almost 195 million dollars that is sitting in accounts right now that will have to be spent before the the money expires and yet we keep hearing about how education is so underfunded and we need to increase the local contributions and squeeze the local prop the local property taxpayers more for it and we've got to do all this stuff because because we just need more money for it with no strings attached, with no accountability, with no transparency. We can. And, and as Sarah pointed out, <clears throat> even before the pandemic, we were in trouble. Even before the pandemic reared its ugly head, Alaska was still 48th, 49th, 50th. in you know, reading, science, math, those kind of Uh, benchmarks in, uh, you know, the third or fourth grade and then the eighth grade and anywhere they tested, we were falling down in the bottom. And then the pandemic hit on top of that. And there was learning loss across the entire United States. I mean, I guess the good news is, is that we didn't we really couldn't fall much further than where we were. Uh, But when the pandemic uh, ended uh, and it became endemic instead of pandemic and kind of the dust settled, here we are. Still at the bottom. uh, The legislature goes ahead and appropriates one hundred and seventy five million dollars with no strings attached, with no accountability, with no measures to track what's being done with it. Uh, Now, the governor's cut that in half, but still they they balked at any kind of amendment that would have created some kind of district standard. Some kind of accountability, some kind of tracking mechanism, or even what I thought would have been probably the most <laughs> the, the most uh, common sense idea was that the districts would spend at least seventy percent of the increased state aid in the classroom, in instructions provided by certified teachers. The amendment. The, the amendment would have just said, and, and then that would have made sense because I think we all kind of know what's going on with this right now, that a lot of this overhead is being sucked up by the infrastructure, right? Buildings, facilities, maintenance, and the administration. It would be interesting if we could track it. To see how much of this is actually getting into the classroom, because I think what you'll find, especially if you go back and look at the breakdown that Sarah did here uh, a couple months ago, where she looked at the administrative costs uh, and it was really not a costing thing. It was more about numbers of heads and personnel. But when you look at many of these districts where they had one administrator for every teacher or in some cases, One and a half to two administrators for every teacher. You start asking questions like, "Why shouldn't the in the classroom education be the primary component?" Uh, I mean, there used to be a seventy percent criteria on that. Now it's been years since that has was there. But that amendment, amendment number five, uh, to SB fifty-two failed miserably, and that was just one of ten different amendments. That could have made the difference. Amendment number one uh, would have added language requiring the Board of Education and deed to establish district standards for improving student proficiency on standard based assessments required by the department. They would have had to have some kind of plan or outline that failed. Amendment two. Uh, It was to establish the Rewarding Improvement of Student Excellence Award, which would have required each school district to provide an award to teachers and parents of a student who shows improvement. That failed. Amendment 3 would have established a teacher gratitude awards aimed to boosting teacher retention. Full-time teachers who had taught their district for two years preceding the payment date would be eligible to apply for a ten, twenty, or $30,000 bonus depending on their district. Remember how they were talking about how it was all about retention of teachers? That failed. Amendment number four would have established a teacher spending account for each certified teacher. They would have had fifteen hundred dollars that could only have been used for educational supplies and materials approved by deed or the Board of Education. Again, we've all heard anecdotally the stories about the teachers who go into their pockets to spend and pay for things in the classroom, which God love them. Thank you for that. But here's what have been. Here's fifteen hundred dollars for it. Nope, that failed. Amendment number five would have required that in subsequent fiscal years, districts spend at least 70 percent of the increase on instruction provided by certified teachers in the classroom. Uh, that failed. Number six would have adjusted the school count period. The enrollment average counted in the fall that determines the initial number of students. Uh, the count is current. Uh, currently the count period of 20 days in October, Uh, From the current count, it would have been 21 days in October to 61 days in September and October. That would have opened the window up a little bit. Maybe they could have gotten a little bit more money. Mm, That failed. Um, Amendment number nine was identical to uh, number five, which was the 70 percent requirement. Um, And and, but (laughs) it it required, (laughs) but it was uh, it would have increased it uh, again. So, nope, that failed. Number 10 would have required the district's budget for and spend on intensive services an equal amount to the amount received under the school funding formula for intensive services. And that failed 10 different amendments that may have made a difference in, you know, some kind of accountability measure, 10 different amendments that just here's here's what it tells you. The legislature is not interested in any kind of accountability for the money. They just want you to trust them that this money is being well spent, even though the track record from the previous two decades of education shows that, well, they kind of suck at it. That the educational, you know, you've still got a 70, what is it, 76 percent? I think we're up to 76 percent graduation rate, which still means that one in four students can't even graduate. And those that do graduate are still scholastically in the bottom of the pack. So even, I mean, even one in four still just flunk out, can't even do it even with the piss poor standards and achievements that we have right now. But what this shows you is that there is no interest in that accountability. Instead, they basically, again, it's just the whole trust us. We know what we We know better than you. Oh, filthy public, just give us your monies and we will do what we think is best. And if they can't get it from the state, what do they do? Oh, yeah they're coming down to your they're coming down to your neighborhood folks they're coming they're coming down to your neighborhood to basically say well you know we just need to increase the uh, and we have a shortfall now because so, so we need to increase the the local contribution and we did you know school districts are sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars in covid funds they're unwilling to take any kind of accountability measures Um, We can expect the further claims of the drastic cuts. We can expect that the newspapers and the local news media will be in this up to their neck talking about how, how why do we hate children? Why do we hate the children? Why? That will be the mantra, I'm sure. I mean, especially look at after the governor's veto that, you know, why? You're a teacher, governor. You were were in the education. Why do you hate children? Or is there something deeper and darker here? That's the insinuation and the innuendo we're hearing from all these articles. And it's just going to be worse. You can expect probably late October, beginning of November, as we start to get geared up for the next legislative session, you could expect a whole lot more of those articles about, well, you just don't. You just hate the children. That if you don't support this, You are somehow anti-child, anti-education, anti... anti Here's the thing. The irony of that is is that, no, most of us who are fighting for this are very much pro-education. What we are anti is doing exactly the same thing that we've been doing for 50 years and expecting different results. Because until we're well, I mean, going back to, for example, the read by nine program, which we know had a tremendous success rate the program was crafted after the Florida program had a tremendous success rate. And Shelley Hughes and company basically lifted the whole program and built it for Alaska, basing the whole thing off the program that had worked in Florida. And you would think that you know, being that we're a petri dish of fifty different states doing fifty different things with their education system, you'd think it would be best to reach out there into each, do, you know, each school district, each state, and see well, what's working. Oh, that's working. Uh oh, what's it working over here? Oh, the read by nine's working. Oh, oh, this is working over here. And to build a whole system based on the past lessons learned from all these different, uh, from all these different uh, school districts. Instead, what happens is we pluck one thing up, and it is a knuckle-dragging brawl to try and get this thing across the finish line. Nobody wants, no, no. no, I mean, it was a, why do you hate children? Why do you hate children? I mean, shouldn't that be our mantra at this point? This worked over here. Why do you hate children? Why do you not want this, you know, implemented here in the state? Is there a darker motivation for that? Is it that you just want to keep the money train flowing, that you just want to keep on business as usual and make sure that the same players get paid all the time, that the money is just, is that, maybe it's darker than that. I mean, yeah. So, anyway, it was (laughs) That was all just to say it was a very interesting conversation with uh, Sarah Montalbano, uh, our guest from the Alaska Policy Forum, in hour one. I love that. Okay. Well, we got uh, more coming up. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and open up the phone lines. If you'd like to uh, give us a call today, and I'm going to open up the phone lines and talk about some of the things that Maybe you want to talk about, maybe you want to call in and comment about anything that we just discussed with Sarah Montalbano. I'd love to hear what you have to say. I'd love to love to see it. Give us a shout, 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio.
0: running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee.
1: Ha, <laughs> nice beard.
0: The Michael Duke show.
3: Okay. Uh uh okay. Um Let me see what's going on um i'm going through here see what you guys have to say um okay going back up here to the top um You kid can come home with straight A's and B's and still need tutoring to pass college classes, says Sean. My kid said she had no idea what they were talking about in class. College instructors don't spoon feed it like back in high school. Most kids are not ready for a college classroom. That's shown, that's weighed out by the empirical facts. You are a hundred percent right, Sean. hundred percent right. Um, Spend most of your money on school overhead and you'll get school overhead. It's pretty simple. That's exactly what we're talking about. That is what we're trying to, I mean, you got to focus on what's going on in the classroom. Um, Anchorage considered closing six schools last year. They needed money without strings to make up for the 5,200 students they lost. They wanted unneeded, they want unneeded schools left open. I mean, yeah, they don't, they don't, they want to be able to Keep the overhead and expand that stuff. S- schools, Kevin says. Uh, Kenneth says from YouTube, schools can't even maintain reliable busing. Yeah, I mean it's a problem. Look at the mismanagement that we've seen across the across the state in the various districts and everything else. Um. Uh, I, bet consolid- oh, what's this right here? I bet consolidating the remote schools into one really nice boarding school per region would be cheaper than the maintenance of all those multi million dollar facilities. Yeah, I think that there's – but you have the court case uh, that basically says you can't force them out of the communities kind of thing and everything. But again, it's how much do we spend on – I mean, what if a community only has – I mean, look at what went on with – where was it? Old Harbor? Carluck. I can't remember. What was it that we were talking about two weeks ago where they were actually advertising for families to come in? They only had two students and they were looking to get another five or six so they could hit that threshold to get all that federal money. Um, they just get, uh, Timothy says over on YouTube, they just want money without accountability. Yeah. that I mean, that's, that's the dream, right? That's the, that's the dream of what everybody wants. Yeah, Molly Hooch is the court case that decided that they couldn't they could not force people to do, you know, uh, boarding schools or something out of their area. Um, 1998, Harold says, was the 70 percent requirement uh, that was in the budget, but it's been gone since then. I mean, again, they just tried to do it again, and it was shot down yet again. Um. Why are they not using the COVID funds? Do they have to report how it was used? Yeah, I mean they do have to report how it is used, uh, and they have a, they have a limited time to to do it. I mean, again, why why sit on it <clears throat> and why use it? Especially why use it to pay reoccurring costs? That is one of the craziest things I've ever heard. Why use reoccurring costs? Um. Donna says, unfortunately, the Alaska legislature removed the requirement that third graders read before being promoted to the fourth grade. Of course they did, because otherwise you'd have a high. I mean, how do you think they got up to that whopping 76 or 77 percent graduation rate? Right. I mean, how did they get there? That's an achievement. Um, I'm going through. Uh, what's that? Carluck. Thank you, Kenneth. That was the Carluck was the place we were talking about. All right. Well, we're 10 seconds out, ready to rejoin the radio, do our thing. Um, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. The Michael Duke show. Give us a call if you'd like common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Here we go. Okay, well, welcome back, The Michael Duke Show. It's Monday, and uh, we're doing a little bit of open line, open form. Phone lines are open this morning to talk about, well, whatever you want. to. If you want to talk about the education mess, we can. Um, Jeannie in the chat room, she's feeling about how I'm feeling right now. She goes, we need a subject change. I'm over it. Because it's irritating, isn't it? It's just like, oh, it's so frustrating. Uh, I mean, we could talk about, you know, Barbie. $155 million? Woof. Baby. The Blockbusters, they are back. It's good to see. Good to see that, uh, I mean, I'm happy for them. I'm happy for the fact that it's the blockbuster weekend and everybody did well I mean again I haven't been to a movie in four years five four years yeah probably four years since I've been to the movies I'll get there eventually I will get there eventually Uh, it beat out Oppenheimer by the way which again biopic with Killian Murphy uh, which I mean they're both great but again I'd probably be more inclined to watch Barbie than Oppenheimer just because I want a little I want a little joy in my life <laughs> and pink. Apparently there's like 4 million shades of pink in that movie. Anyway, well, it was just a fun stuff. We can talk about that or whatever you want. Uh, uh, also I've got some other headlines we're going to touch on, including this whole thing about, um, the, uh, this whole thing, uh, about the Head Start program, how it's, uh, well, it, it's, it's going to be losing millions of dollars. Um, and there's a reason for that, and we'll talk about that as well. But let's go over to the phones first and see what you have to say about that. Good morning. Who's this? Uh, where are you calling from?
2: Randy in Fairbanks.
3: Hello, Randy. What's uh, what's on your mind, sir? What's what's happening?
2: Well, uh, this last weekend, uh, yes, uh, yesterday and on Saturday also, there was the Isleson Air Show, and I went there on Saturday. <clears throat> And I very much enjoyed watching the maneuvers of the uh, F-16 and the F-35. They had flying around. They also had some World War II planes, which was neat. The only thing that was kind of weird to me, and and let me also say that it's been several years since I've been to an Isleson air show, because I've always had to work on Saturday and everything, but I was able to go there this Saturday. But they had a, first of all, they had a a metal detection station, just like the, TSA has when you uh, board an airliner. That was kind of weird to me uh, because we were just, you know, we parked on the tarmac and we all walked, you know, on the tarmac, you know, quite a distance to get to the where the air show was there. And, uh, and then after being in line for a long time to get to that, which I did not mind because I had my backpack and I had my newspaper with me and I could just read as I slowly shuffled along in the line. But when I got there, you know, I had, you had to take off your belt and uh, remove all the metal and everything in your pockets and everything. And so I did that, and there was my pocket knife, and the guy says, oh, you can't bring that in here. And he said, you can either put it in a disposal container where you never get it back, or you can take it back to your car. So since I paid 30-plus bucks for that knife, I certainly went back to my car. But uh, I was wondering, you know, I don't rem- we never did that uh, a few years ago when the last time I went to the Isleson Air Force Base, and I wonder what in the world is is this all about? Where you can't have a pocket knife <laughs> on a tarmac yeah, out in the middle of the open air and everything? I yeah, mean, yeah. is this something that happened because Biden is president and he is? bringing down these draconian
3: woke policies or what oh i think it's i think it's more just security theater randy i don't think it has necessarily has anything to do with who is president i think that they have some kind of standard playbook that they run for security measures and they just decided we're going to just do this like an airport and so no pocket knives or any pieces of metal over a certain amount and yada 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 Uh, i don't think it has anything to do with who's president or anything else A little surprising that you can't sit on a tarmac and watch planes fly, even though you're going to be nowhere near anything like that with a pocket knife. But, I mean, you know, it's, again, just more security theater, making sure that we are accustomed to and inured the violations of our persons and our civil rights on those kind of things. I mean, they obviously don't want anybody bringing a gun on the tarmac. Okay, I get that. That's that makes sense. Uh, But a pocket knife. I just, it's overkill, Randy. But again, I don't think it has any, I don't think Biden is up in his ivory tower stroking his non-existent beard saying, that's right. We'll keep them from having pocket knives at air shows. I think it's just basically, again, the security theater, they have a playbook. Here's what the playbook says. The playbook says nothing through any metal detector checkpoint. And it is what it is. Probably would have been nice though, to have a big sign there that said pocket knives also not allowed. You know what I mean? So you didn't have to wait in line twice. You could send one person back to the car with everybody's pocket knife. Uh, That probably would have been nice, but there there you go.
2: Also, one other little complaint I had. You know, I enjoyed the air show. It was, you know, well done. They had plenty of booths from different groups and and lots of food vendors and everything. That part was good. But they had loudspeakers, which was used for the announcer talking about, you uh, know what was going on in the sky and everything, which was necessary and good. But all along with the loud, with his announcement, there was raucous music going on continually. And I felt and ter- terrible music in some of the tunes and everything <laughs> to me in my opinion. And I asked somebody, you know what's with this raucous music constantly? And, and his thought was that it's for the young people who have been conditioned and are used to, constant barrage of music going on in their ears and i thought that's a shame
3: <laughs> well yeah it's it's a shame and it's probably a statement on our society as a whole that they have to be entertained every second of every minute of every day uh but you're probably not wrong either on that randy thank you for your call today i appreciate it let's uh go over here take another one good morning who's this where are you calling from
4: Hello, Mike. This is Jason calling from Fairbanks.
3: Hello, my friend. What's uh, going on with you?
4: Well, I listened. To what is it? Okay, if we go back to the education talk.
3: Oh, okay. If you have had, to, had,
4: <laughs> go ahead. Sure. it's my ideas for. It. Well, I was thinking during the whole time where you um you were, you were talking about the uh, rather quite large amounts of money, million, uh, over a hundred million dollars that's still available that they're not using. I think what we need is is to appoint a an inspector general, someone who you know, if people from these different uh, communities, um, you know, if they have proposals for ways to use it, where they could look at it and and see that it's that it was something that would be actually useful. Because a lot of these in a lot of these communities they're real big on you know on the high tech stuff on buying the equipment and things right. like that, and some of it's useful, some of it may not be. And something else I was thinking, too, during the whole time you were speaking about this, for the better part of a century now, and it's still in operation today, and I I think I can get you a guest if you'd be interested in interviewing someone from this organization. Australia has what's called the School of the Air which they've had they've they've run for many decades and it's done also in new zealand and i think in indonesia too where you have a lot of isolated kids spread over a large geographic area in australia it's a lot of those huge sheep stations you know and where they do it over shortwave radio right and um... their 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 academic uh... their academic uh... results are no less good than those of the brick and mortar schools and in fact, Australia, I mean, they lead the world in, in certain technological areas like uh, radio astronomy, some of the biggest radio telescopes are you know, are in Australia, like the Parkes Radio Telescope and the Mills Cross, and also in aerospace engineering too. And uh, what I was thinking was Australia has a lot of uh, similarities to us, Aust- or Alaska has a lot of uh, similarities to Australia, and we have you know, a lot of village schools. And it could be done, it could be done up here easily, and also today. We could even use what's called slow scan television, which the ham radio operators invented. Only the teacher would need it, and you can use it with any TV set, where the teacher could describe, you know, using a blackboard, uh, you know, like like graphs of equations and things like that, and. I don't see any reason if the Australians can do it and they do it quite cheaply it's not a, a terribly expensive uh, system why can't we do that
3: No I mean we've talked about that Indonesia and India they both have uh, they have a similar program that you're talking about it's remote learning basically where they have a single mm-hmm. teacher who is teaching to several hundred students. Now, the argument there is, of course, is the students aren't getting the one-on-one interaction or whatever. But I mean, we've got the internet. We've got the ability to do it. We've got the ability to broadcast. I mean, why, mm-hmm. if they're having problems retaining teachers in these areas, in these bush areas, why not create a, a virtual classroom or even a physical classroom in the, you know, in there where they can transmit? The teacher the teacher could be somewhere else and maybe this teacher teaches two or three different uh classes or schools or whatever throughout the day and and does that kind of stuff maybe they rotate um, I mean I think that there's options there we just have to we just have to think outside the box and again it comes back to the idea of admitting that there is a problem with the way that we're doing it right now and we need to be innovative right. and and of course all the innovation though, Keeps getting squashed. All the innovation just keeps getting shut down.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, if I can, if I can get someone from their organization, because I almost became an Australian myself in the early seventies, our family came within a hair's breadth of moving there. Just the economy, the dollar, you know, Australian U.S. dollar exchange rate changed to the point that we couldn't do it. Plus, my mother was a little bit reluctant to do it. My father was all gung ho for it, but I've been over there twice. I mean, I never attended it, or. or, or Sampled any of those schools, but I've read quite a bit about them over the years. If I can get you a, uh, someone from their, you know, like a their speakers bureau, would you be interested in uh, interviewing them? Because yeah. like I said, they know how to do it because they've been doing it for so long.
3: No, absolutely. I'd love to talk about that. Any kind of, you know, different ideas in, uh, you know, the mechanism of education, I'm willing to talk about any of that. So yeah, feel free to get me some details or uh, include me in an email to them or whatever. If we can get somebody on, I'd love to talk about it.
4: Okay, and the reason why I mentioned the radio rather than the Internet is that the radio equipment is so much cheaper than the Internet and much more reliable, too, because even with the, um, you know, the, the vagaries of the sun during its eleven year you know, sunspot cycle, they know what frequencies to use and they already have that down pat. You know, they say uh, you know, on this you know, on this year, on this day of this month we'll, we'll be on this frequency and next year we might we'll be on that frequency. And they mail cards out to the to the students and they have established procedures like at one like they have normal class sizes like you might have one teacher teaching thirty, maybe forty students or even less. It's not one teacher teaching thousands of students right so that it is it is very much like a like a regular classroom they're just scattered over a large geographical area and they do the roll call in the morning and I've I've heard the most common thing they say is the teacher will say good morning class over (laughs) And then the kids all sign, you know, they call in with their names and say, President, we can hear you loud and clear. And then they just start the lesson. Well,
3: you know, I mean, maybe radio is the way to go. But, I mean, Internet's here to stay, Jason. And I'm sure, you know, people would think that doing radio is going backwards. But, I mean, maybe it's perception. But I would definitely love to interview anybody that has some ideas like that. Feel free to include me in that email. Starlink to do uh, it yeah, yeah Starlink I mean again Starlink is there and up and ready alright <clears throat> well thanks Jason I appreciate right. uh, appreciate, appreciate you calling I'll in get you one thank you so much I appreciate that thank you uh, folks we are up against the break uh, we got um, we got more coming up phone lines are open 907-433-3150 gonna talk about this head start thing here uh, on the other side my thoughts on that and uh, we'll return. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio.
0: Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
3: Okay. I see. I had a text message from somebody. <clears throat> um study hall is open we good god almighty all right let me do that close that again um um uh, study hall is open we love the situation we find ourselves in here at the alaska study industry <laughs> this is my buddy john oh man uh yeah study hall is open what can we do what can we do to uh, make it work? What can we do? Uh, all right, <clears throat> let me go over here. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, put that interview into motion, says Jeannie, and watch the Juno worms squirm. I do you really think that they would listen to that and go, boy? Dukes is really onto something there. We need to avoid. I mean, I. I don't know. I don't think anybody. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I see what Jason's saying that radio is cheaper and there's a, but I mean the internet is right there. And <clears throat> if we're talking about a one-way connection from the teacher to a student classroom where the three or four or eight students or whatever are all gathered, I don't. I mean, it wouldn't take that much bandwidth to make it happen. It doesn't even necessarily have to be broadband. Uh, but it could be, it could be, uh, going back to Randy's topic about the pocket knives. Kenneth says it's a base commander on a power trip. I, that could be as well. I mean, maybe the base commander's like, no, he's anti pocket knife for whatever reason. Uh, Brian says that it's a fought issue, which is foreign objects or debris on the runway. Although it, are we, are you getting that close to the runway where it would be a problem? I mean, I don't know if it's a phone issue or not, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. Uh, And Brian says also on the Internet thing for the schools, remote schools, and we have paid and paid and paid and paid for the Internet connections. Yeah. Although I was encouraged to see that uh, Murkowski mentioned the other day uh, public-private partnerships with somebody like Elon Musk and Starlink. I mean, we're about to spend billions of dollars building out infrastructure when we have a $500 solution already there. Right? I mean, because people, and maybe, I don't know if Willie's in here. Willie, did I see you earlier? I think I saw Willie from Quinnahawk here. Yep, he's in here. Uh, Willie, I mean, the cost for internet in the bush is what? I mean, even for a mediocre internet connection, it's like 100 to 150, 200 bucks a month, right? With Starlink, you get a half gig connection um for a hundred bucks i mean it's a it's a hundred bucks it's not it's not hard to get it and the equipment costs almost nothing there's no infrastructure to build out here's your box put it in hundred bucks a month broadband internet i mean that's pretty slick um Willie says the Alaska disconnect between rural and urban were such a huge area that radio still isn't in most villages. Well, but shortwave radio reaches from wherever. You could broadcast shortwave from Anchorage and hit most of the state, you know. Uh, Ham is the only viable backup for emergency services, says Jeannie. Yes, I know. In fact, I was going to get ham radio people on to talk about... um, to talk about uh, the ham radio as a emergency, you know, part of the what if kind of series of discussions, personal ham radio, Um, which I think would be pretty cool, especially the little handhelds and everything else, the little one meter handhelds. I think that'd be kind of a cool thing to talk about uh, because I don't know enough about it. I want to, you know, I want to learn. I want to learn along with you. Um. But Starlink doesn't send dollars to potential campaign donors. That's true. I mean, GCI, they made some contributions, baby. The ROI on GCI's contributions to political candidates in this state is definitely paid off. I mean, money, honey. They're making money. That's for sure. Uh, Dan says, Starlink is in the bee's knees. Many of my neighbors sent it back due to inconsistent links with the satellite. Well, they, they I mean, I don't know if anybody else has been following this, um but they said in the very it's one of the reasons why I'm currently I have a Starlink. I'm paying for my Starlink. I'm currently not using the Starlink to broadcast because they have not finished putting up all the constellations yet above Alaska. That's what they're working on. They're supposed to have them all up by next month. I've been following it to see what's going on, but they've been saying that there is drops and inconsistencies because they do not have a full constellation of satellites above us. So that was a known issue. Before, you know, when people jumped in on this, they told you that. I mean, I got an email saying that. So it's not a big surprise. Um, Probably by this time next year, it will be rock solid. I mean, but your mileage may vary. We'll see. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. We'll see what's going on. Um, Willie says, GCI is over $300 for very limited. Starlink is $90 um you have to pass tests for ham radio and that's above most bush residents yeah i mean i'm with you on that all right here we go the michael duke show common sense radio Okay. Welcome back to the program. Um, Dan was just saying, I was. we were talking about Starlink, and Dan was saying that it's not the bee's knees. Many of my neighbors sent it back due to inconsistent links to the satellite, to which I reported. I mean, I have a Starlink, right? But I'm not using it to broadcast the show or use my internet services because they do not have a full constellation of satellites up over Alaska. Alaska was more of an afterthought. They weren't planning on doing it, and then they saw the demand, and so now they've been launching the satellites, and et cetera, et cetera. They're supposed to have the full constellation up, or mostly full constellation up by, I think, the end of next month is what I was told here a few months ago. I haven't checked in on it yet to see, but, yeah, I mean, it was a known issue that they were going to have some inconsistencies and some dropouts, but it's getting better. It's getting better every day, um, and they're going uh, to continue to add satellites until it's rock solid, and it's a fraction. Willie is out in the village, and he just told us in the chat room that GCI is over $300 for very limited Internet. $300 a month for very limited Internet. Starlink is 90 bucks for half a gig, which is not limited. That's it's broadband, right? Half a gig down. Is a pretty solid connection for most people, so uh, it's uh, it's a good thing. Uh, yeah, like I said, I I think it's definitely well worth it in the long run. Um, all right, they sent up. Oh, uh, Starlink has been sending up satellites specific for the northern regions for twelve to eighteen months. They just sent up two over the last couple of days. There's a whole new. Uh, setup. Like I said, I expect that by next month, they'll have most of a full constellation up over Alaska and we should see a lot less droppage happening, which is good. Uh, somebody says, why are we running fiber optic cables to the bush when we have Starlink? <clears throat> That's uh, the million dollar question. I mean, you know. Uh, all right. Uh, let's uh, continue on here uh, with my final This is the final story that I wanted to talk about today. Um, Let's start with the headline. This is a reprint in the ADN from Alaska Public Media. Wesley Early. That's kind of a cool name. Wesley Early wrote this article. um, And here's the headline. Almost half of Alaska's Head Start programs could lose millions in federal funding due to under-enrollment. The potential loss of Head Start funding comes as the state faces a child care crunch with lengthy waiting lists and rising costs, putting a burden on Alaska families. Head Start is a federal program that provides early childhood education for free, primarily to low income families, as well as foster kids and children with disabilities. Um, So let me tell you my thoughts just right off the bat, based on the headline alone. Almost half of Alaska's Head Start programs could lose millions in federal funding due to under-enrollment. Well, you have a problem here. If there's under-enrollment, that means you have a program that either nobody knows about, which I think that's probably untrue, or there's just not enough demand to keep it up. And the fact that you would lament the fact that you will lose federal monies because of under-enrollment is just strictly a factor of the supply and demand of the market. I just, I don't know why this should all of a sudden become a crisis uh, on this. We were just talking about Carlock, right, Uh, and how they were advertising for um, families. They were going to pay for, they're paying for two families to move there, lock, stock, and barrel. They're going to pay for them. They're going to pay for their housing. They're going to give them jobs. They're going to do all that stuff as long as they bring a couple kids apiece with them so that they can hit that mandated goal so that they can keep all the federal or state, uh, all the government money. Which seems counterintuitive, right? That, that just seems wrong. It goes on to talk about how Head Start is um, having a problem because they now have a staffing problem. Um, the federal grant is at risk. They have a staffing issue. They can only it only has staffing to fill 53 spots. Um, they're going on, you know, problem after problem after problem. They can't service more people until it has more employees. Until it has more employees, it can not enroll more children. Uh, it you know, you know, they're talking about how oh they're losing people to other industries with competitive wages. We've lost people to Bailey's furniture. We've lost people to Starbucks. They're all paying more hourly than we do. And the work is hard. Head start is hard. Well, you could respond to market forces by increasing your offering of wages. But maybe you can't because the federal government, since they're footing the bill for most of this, they'll tell you what you can do and what you can't. do. <laughs> they'll, they'll tell, you know, um, I. Uh, again. The whole problem, um, well, and there's other issues, too. There, one of the gals, uh, Francine Kachucha, is director of the Early Childhood Education at FNA, Fairbanks Native Association, which is another Head Start program uh, that's under-enrolled by about 53%. She said while the program's wages in her in her program is fairly competitive, it has had issues with applicants not passing drug tests. That's a problem. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm I'm reading this whole thing, and all I'm all I can think of as I read all this stuff is y- you have under enrollment, which says to me, either one, people don't know about the program. I'd said that earlier. But I mean, Head Start has been around forever, right? I mean, Head Start's does it even say how long it's been going on? I mean, it's gotta have been going on for at least a couple decades, right? Head Start's been there for quite a while, so it's not like people don't know about it. So if it's under, uh, if it's under enrolled, it may be that there's just not that much of demand, or maybe you need to expand your criteria because it's primarily set up for low-income families and foster kids and kids with disabilities. So maybe you need. To, I mean, if you really want to expand enrollment, maybe you need to loosen your criteria. But again that's a federal government thing. So this is a whole chicken and the egg thing. But I just, to me, what caught my, what caught my eye was the lamentation that somehow they're going to lose millions in federal funding because there's not enough people in the program. Well, that's, that's, that's the point. That's why it's based on a per person funding because you're supposed to, Spend money on the ones that you have, and if you don't have it, then you don't get the money. That just seems that seems commonsensical to me. That seems like that's a good deal. Now, of course, they did do the parting shot uh, off the bow. Uh, well, first of all, their other Head Start programs that are in danger of losing federal funds due to under enrollment are CCS Learning in Wasilla, Thrive Alaska in Fairbanks, Aleutian Privloff Islands Association, Metlakatla. Uh, Quirac, Rural Cap, tanana Chiefs Conference, and the Clingent and Haida. Those are all the organizations that are in danger of losing some federal funds because of an under-enrollment. Now, the Head Start program manager said they hoped to get an increase from the state. They couldn't get it from the feds because they're under-enrolled, so they were hoping that they could get the money from the state to help with hiring and open up more child care spots and yada, yada, yada. It sounds to me like you've got a broken model. If you could... If you could, if you've got a waiting list and you've got people waiting to be part of it, but you don't have enough people enrolled, it sounds like you're either a not getting enough per student, b there's some there's something going on there. There's something fundamentally broken in the formula that you have at that point. But again, the parting shot against Governor Mike Dunleavy because uh, you know the legislators tried to allocate five million dollars to Head Start, and he reduced it to one point five million dollars. Um, And so right now they're upset with Dunleavy because, uh, you know, he cut back on some of that stuff as well. I I just. Surprise that, you know, you're going to lose millions because you're under enrolled again, maybe there's not that much of a demand. My question is, you know, why are we looking to the government to take care of that early child development? Why are we looking to the government to babysit our children when it should be, as a parent, uh, our number one priority? Oh, thank you, Donna. Head Start was a program that was created by LBJ. So, yeah, 20 years. No, it's more like 60 years. (laughs) More like 60 years. Going on for 60 years. How many millions have been spent into that deal? I I mean, I, I... I, I wish I could say I was surprised, but I'm not. All right. Um, maybe they should offer an AR-15 story hour to raise visibility. My libertarian is showing. Uh, all right, folks. Yeah, my libertarian is showing. I mean, what more do you I mean? Free markets, free minds. Why don't we take care of our own instead of looking to the government for every problem that we have? Okay, we're out of time. we got to go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio tomorrow. Brad Keithley, Chris Story. We'll see you then. And then Ken says, no, Willie says, Head Start doesn't teach ABC 123 for starting first grade. What do they teach then? I mean, it's early learning. Is it really just daycare? Or is it really early learning? I, I want to know. I just want to know. All right, my friends. Well, that was a fun show. We will see you tomorrow with more. Don't forget to go check out the Common Sense Corps if you want to help support the show. Become a member of the Corps. Get access to our Facebook group and more. We will see you on the flip side back with more tomorrow. Have a great day.